you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 31. If you're a visitor with us, we are just about to finish a series of messages throughout the entire book of Proverbs, and specifically the last chapter, Proverbs 31, under the title, Portrait of a Godly Wife. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 to 31. Listen to it. Proverbs 31, 10 to 31. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself, Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands, and let her works praise her, in the gates. As I said a moment ago, we are fast approaching the end of this incredible poem, extolling the vast virtues of the Proverbs 31 woman. Thus far, we've seen 22 character qualities in this godly wife, which speak of her relationship to her God, her family, and her community. She is excellently valiant. She's exceedingly valuable. She's wholeheartedly trustworthy. She is wonderfully thrifty. She is perpetually helpful. She is delightfully industrious. She is creatively domestic. She is tirelessly serving. She is financially competitive. She is courageously strong. She is perceptively aggressive. She is incredibly handy. She is cheerfully kind. She is unflinchingly confident. She is beautifully arrayed. She is famously supportive. She is lucratively enterprising. 
She is deeply spiritual. She is joyfully optimistic. She is purposefully discipling. She is administratively diligent. She is actively responsive. And now this morning and next time, as we near the end of this magnificent poem on the virtues of a godly wife, I want to give you, for our time in God's Word, yet one more quality, one more characteristic, as we continue to work our way through about this godly wife. In verses 28 and 29, she is admirably praised. She is admirably praised. Verses 28 and 29. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also. And he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Now, I need to explain something here at the outset before we begin to talk about this concept of praising so that you and I are not confused about what we're talking about. We could be confused, I think, about praising people as over against praising God for people. I suppose we could ask the question, is it wrong to praise people? I mean, as evangelical Christians, it sort of sounds funny. It sounds awkward for us to say, I praise you. Because as evangelicals, we would want to say, I only praise God, right? I want to praise God. He's the chief end of our praising. So is it wrong for us to praise people? It almost sounds wrong, doesn't it? Aren't we supposed to to praise God alone? Isn't He the one to whom alone we must praise God? And bless? Are we supposed to bless and praise human beings? Imperfect? Sinful as they are? Regardless of how noble they may be? It's very interesting to notice three specific terms here in verses 28 to 31, which really is the capstone passage which makes one final appeal in verses 28 to 31, to applaud this wonderful woman of Proverbs 31. Really, it's a, it's a section in and of itself. It's our conclusion. It's verses 28 to 31, which make up, in this portion of the poem, a most fitting end to the praise of this woman. And what is particularly interesting to me, and possibly somewhat confusing, maybe even uncomfortable, about these verses is that which ties them all together. And that which does tie them all together is the word praise, or even the concept of bless, or even the sense of nobility. Those three terms, for instance, are used here, and even chief among them, the word praised is used in three separate verses of this section. It's amazing. It's used a total of three times, this word praise. Look with me, for instance. It's used in the latter part of verse 28. Her husband also blesses, and he praises her. 
And then the latter part of verse 30, a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Verse 31, give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. And that's really the key to understanding verses 28 to 31, because it is to see this tie in with the word praise and even some of these other words like bless in verse 28 and in the, the last word of the first phrase of verse 29, many daughters have done nobly. So this sense of blessing someone and calling them noble and praising them, it sounds a little strange to our ears because we're to bless God. Bless the Lord, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise. Praise God. We hear that a lot. And we should. But when it falls to persons, persons whom we know to be sinful, to be imperfect, is it right for us as evangelicals to say, praise you, bless you, when we're extolling them? It sounds a bit awkward. Well, it shouldn't. It really shouldn't. It's interesting. The root word for praise means either A literal emission of light, like with celestial bodies, like our English word shine would be used to describe it. The shining of celestial bodies. It's because they emit a certain light, and that's how it's used literally. And the word praise is used metaphorically of the idea of spiritual light emitting from a person's good works, from their character, for which there can be a most appropriate response of boasting about this person. You can see their light. Their light is shining. Their character is shining. Their works are shining. And so it's appropriate to speak, to praise, to boast about them. It's also interesting that in reference to God, this Hebrew word for praise takes on another form of the root word that has to do with boasting in God's works of perfection or God's works of character. So to go back to the question of yours or my uneasiness with the use of words that we may utter to praise God or to bless God in the context of praising or blessing human beings, admittedly sinful and imperfect though we are, is not inappropriate and, of course, because of our text, is even, yea, verily, commanded for us to speak of human beings, specifically in this context, a godly wife. Yes, with the use of the word praise or bless, there's nothing ethically or biblically wrong whatsoever with boasting in a human being regarding their character, regarding the God-wrought works that He is doing in their lives. Just as it is very appropriate to talk to God, to talk about Him to others, about about His perfect character, His pristine works. So, admittedly, at a lower level, we praise those around us for their good works. It's a lesser form of praise. We acknowledge that. We're not saying praise you in the sense that we're saying praise God, bless you in the sense that we're saying bless God. We know that, but it's not inappropriate. You shouldn't be uncomfortable with that. This shouldn't be awkward to us. We're exhorted 
to praise and bless those who are worthy of those accolades. Certainly. It's also interesting to me that indeed the Hebrew construct for the phrase, and he praises her, do you see that there in verse 28? And he praises her. It is that Hebrew construct, construct, way and e ha le la. Way e ha le la. Say it with me. Way e ha le la. Now, I ask you to say it with me because what does that sound exactly like? Way e hallelujah. Right? And you know what that means? And praise Yah. Short for Yahweh. The name for God. Hallelujah. And praise God. It's a different form of the same type of root word. And he praises her and praise Yah. It's the sense that we are to praise. In fact, it's the very construction of the idea of hallelujah, which means to praise God. Praise others, praise God. That's what we are to do. We're boasting in God when we say hallelujah. Yahweh, praise be to you, God. And when we say, Wah-heh-hallelah, we are saying, and praise you. And he praises his wife. Nothing wrong with that at all. So, as we conclude this section, we're actually encouraged, we're exhorted to boast in the good works of others while God is at work in them, like this godly wife. And we're boasting in the God of this person for all that he's doing in and through them, for us. And we're boasting in the Lord's good work in them, and we are praising them. Imperfect, admittedly, sinful, yes. But notice, praise, even bless. See, the word blessed is used in the first part of verse 28. Her children rise up and bless her. It means to esteem someone. It means to honor them, to respect them. To give them what is their due. They ought to be publicly honored for their life and their work. So, all in all, the Bible does encourage us to speak well of those around us who are seeking themselves to honor God by their lives, by their works. It's a virtue to boast and bless those around us who honor God in their words and in their works. And therefore, with specific direction then, I want us to take this last section, verses 28 and 29 today, verse 30 next time, verse 31 a following time, and then maybe a wrap-up of all of the Proverbs. We'll see how it goes. But we're going to look at a 23rd quality this morning, and then a 24th all on its own probably, and then a 25th to have 25 character qualities about this woman in her life. And one of those is here, and it is in verses 28 and 29, that she is admirably praised. Now, admittedly, as we conclude, it's a little bit different because it's not specifically talking about her character per se, but what others do toward her, right? For her. It's not necessarily what she is in herself, but it's what others do about who she is with herself. 
And so she is to be admirably praised. And for our time this morning, she is to be admirably praised in two ways or two categories or two spheres. And here they are, her children, the children's praises and blessings of their mother. Verse 28a, and then the husband's praising and blessing of his wife. In the latter part of verse 28 and verse 29. Let's look at the first part of verse 28, the children's praises and blessings of their mother. Her children, the Bible says, rise up and bless her. And there are two very easy ways to break down the first part of this verse. What does it mean to rise up and what does it mean to bless? Now, we don't know exactly who the children are in this family, but we do know that literally it says her sons. That's what it says literally. Her sons rise up and bless her. And we don't know, of course, if that means just her own children or possibly even her grandchildren. We don't know how old she is. We're not to know those details because they're not important to us. What is important to us is that this is a model lady. This is a godly woman. And whoever these children are, whether they are simply her sons and her daughters, because this is generic here, verse in context isn't saying sons only, it's sons and daughters, and maybe not just sons and daughters, but maybe grandsons and granddaughters, depending on how old she is. You might even have pictured in your mind the sense that this woman is being extolled later on in her life and she has all of her children, she has all of her grandchildren sort of gathered around her and they are rising up and they are blessing her and they are saying, thank you for who you are, right? I mean, this is, this is really what we're talking about when we're talking about this grand lady. We're seeing her children around her, extolling her. And that's what they're doing. The rise up, the blessing of this incredible lady. Why do the children do this? Well, look back through the poem. Notice verse 13. She looks for wool and flax and she works with her hands in delight. For whom? For her children. For her husband. She brings them food from afar, verse 14. She rises up in the night while it is still dark. She gives food to her household. She's feeding everybody. She's feeding her maidens, her servant girls. She's considering a field. She's buying it. She's girding herself with strength. She is blessed because she is receiving material gain for her labors. She's stretching out her hands. She's working to make clothes. She's reaching out to the poor. She's clothing her children or household with double thickness when it gets cold outside. She's making even coverings for herself. Her husband is known as a respected man in the community because of the virtue of her life. She's making linen garments. She's selling it to merchants, to tradesmen. She's full of strength and dignity. She's opening her mouth in wisdom. She teaches kindness. She's looking always to the ways of her household. She's not idle in any way. She's continually doing what she does to bring bread into the home. She's making the bread that her husband brings into feasts for her children. And all of that and more causes her children, her grandchildren, to rise up around her and bless her. That's what she does. And that's 
why they do what they do. And notice, especially you, you young people, her children are doing this very thing. You say, why emphasize that? Because we're not really good, most of us, at saying thanks, right? We're not really good. I'm not really good at saying thanks, expressing gratitude, encouraging, constantly needing to be reminded to do this very thing. And notice what it says here. It says, rise up. What does that mean? Her children rise up. Well, it could mean a couple of things. One thing that it probably definitely does mean is this sense, that someone is literally rising up. They're standing up on their feet as a way to symbolically communicate their heart of gratitude and thankfulness to their mother. It's interesting. Look in your Bibles at a couple of references to these. Look at Job 29. If you want to just know the culture that we're talking about here, you can see it in Job 29. This is most interesting. You remember Job was a very, very godly man. He was very respected. Obviously so much so even before the tragedies struck him. And in Job 29, verse 1 says, And Job again took up his discourse and said, Oh, that I were, as in months gone by, he's reflecting back, when he was so totally respected in the community for what he was and what he did, he's reflecting back on those. He's mourning over those days, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone over my head, and by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in the prime of my days, when the friendship of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me and my children were around me, when my steps were bathed in butter, and the rock poured out for me streams of oil. Notice this, verse 7, when I went out to the gate of the city, that's sort of that marketplace, that's that public place, that would be like the center city, and then he says, when I took my seat in the square, he had a prominent place. Maybe he was a judge. Maybe he was a person who was giving advice and counsel. Maybe he sat on the city council. Verse 8, the young men saw me and hid themselves. In other words, hid themselves for just the, the respect, the adulation. And notice this, and the old men arose and stood. See that? In other words, they were rising out of respect for Job. That's, that's probably what we're talking about here. Look at Isaiah chapter 49. In Isaiah 49, you have even a sense of not just Isaiah, but of course maybe even the servant with capital S, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Certainly Isaiah, who is the one prophesying. Thus says the Lord... Isaiah 49.7, the Redeemer of Israel and its Holy One, to the despised one, to the one abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will see and arise. Princes will also bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. In other words, in the customs of the day, there were two kinds, two symbols of giving respect and giving honor. One was to bow down. Of course, we know that very well. Someone was laying prostrate on the ground because they were giving that sense of a bowed humiliation, a, a humble contrition, the idea that I was standing in the presence of greatness or the entire group they would stand together 
so that in that symbolic sense, they were standing to rise with respect. We have that even today, although it may be a bit forced. When we watch a courtroom scene and the judge comes in, what do they all say? Arise. Right? It's a sign, supposed to be, of respect. So when the children are said to arise, they are standing in respect of their dear mother. She's a godly wife. She's a godly woman. She's a godly mother to these kids. It may even have this sense of seriousness and sobriety attached to it. Not just respect, but this sort of seriousness and sobriety. When you're in a group and when some esteemed person makes their way into the group, there's a rising, there's a standing up as a show that there's a very, very notable person who has come into the room. Look at First Chronicles chapter 28. First Chronicles 28. Just showing you an example of the culture of the day. This is what these children are doing and rising up. First Chronicles 28, this is about David addressing the people about the temple. Now David assembled at Jerusalem all of the officials of Israel, the princes of the tribes, and the commanders of the divisions that served the king, and the commanders of thousands, and the commanders of hundreds, and the overseers of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons, with the officials and the mighty men, even all the valiant men. Then King David rose to his feet and said, listen to me. Now certainly there was in this a sense that he needed to rise so that he could be heard, physically speaking. Sure. But it was also the addressing of himself to all of the valiant men. He would arise and he would speak to them. Look at Second Chronicles chapter 30. Second Chronicles chapter 30. Similar sense. This is when the Passover was reinstituted. Hezekiah, verse 23 of Second Chronicles 30. Then the whole assembly decided to celebrate the feast another seven days. So they celebrated the seven days with joy. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, had contributed to the assembly 1,000 bulls and 7,000 sheep. And the princes had contributed to the assembly's 1,000 bulls and 10,000 sheep. And a large number of priests had consecrated themselves. All the assembly of Judah rejoiced with the priests and the Levites and all the assembly that came from Israel, both the sojourners who came from the land of Israel and those living in Judah. So there was great joy in Jerusalem because there was nothing like this in Jerusalem since the days of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Then verse 27, then the Levitical priests arose and blessed the people and their voice was heard and their prayer came to his holy place to heaven. Yes. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 17. Now, gird up your loins and arise, Jeremiah, and speak to them all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them, or I will dismay you before them. In other words, there's seriousness here. There's sobriety here. There's a sense of the the appropriate reverence that when someone comes into the room who is to be revered, you do so, and you do so with seriousness and sobriety, and you arise, and you bless, and you give the, the right adulation because they are deserving of this. And I I can't think of anyone else who is more deserving than our dear godly women, godly wives. They ought to be, in a sense, revered by all of us. We ought to stand up and bless them and revere them. You know how the New Testament speaks of it? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy 5. You remember how Paul spoke so endearingly? 
of Timothy's mother and grandmother. He's going he's to speak about them, and I'll show you a couple of passages, but this is the general sense of what we ought to do for all of those in the church, especially these ladies. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. In other words, be respectful, be kind, be charitable, be very, very careful not to offend, because he's a father figure to you in the church. To the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers. In other words, treat them as though it was your own very mother. And the younger women as sisters in all purity. Look at Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. This is what Paul was doing. This is the very principle he was living out. He says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.5, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Wouldn't you like to have been, even though you would not have, I'm sure, thought of yourself as anything very special, you had Timothy as your son or grandson, but to have in perpetuity your name listed in the pages of Holy Scripture forever and ever because you were a godly person and you were extolled for being such. They were the human instrumental means by which Timothy was converted to Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. You, Timothy... However, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, here's that commendation, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings from Eunice and Lois, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Children, 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 do you bless your mom like this? Or does it have to be drug out of you? Now, I know that it's not something on the tip of your tongue. I know it's not something that you immediately think about. Frankly, because of the curse of sin and because of the self-focused nature of our lives, because of our own selfishness, we're thinking about whom? Of course, ourselves. But wouldn't it be grand? Wouldn't it be wonderful? Quinn, children, take note. I'm preaching to them again. Take note. Bless your mom. Bless her. Her children rise up. They stand up. That's why it's, it's wonderful, especially in the South, even though it's a dying art. And even though, as I was taught to do that, when a woman came to a table that I was sitting to eat, I was to stand up in respect and reverence. And when I do that now, in and around Little Rock or in and around the South, it's a dying art. Because often when I do that, someone's looking at me like, what in the world are you doing? I don't even know what that means. And then it, there's an opportunity for you to explain that. And then sometimes I've even had men sort of elbow me and say uh, privately, hey, you're, you're, you're showing us up. And I say, absolutely I am. Open the door for your wife. Open the door for your mother, your sister, your aunt, your daughter-in-law. Show them respect. Show them honor. Children especially. Rise up. Stand up when they enter the room. You say, oh, it's a lot of... Pomp and circumstance. Well, sure, it could be something that you don't really mean. It could be something that's just an exercise for you in, in habit. 
and nature, but it also could be a sense in your own mind and in those who watch you when you do it, a symbol of that which you want to be true in your heart at all times. And that is you want to rise up, you want to stand up and you want that to be the very symbolic nature of what your heart is because you want to praise and bless your mom. You see, bless the ladies, rise up and bless. How do you think she'll respond to this? Look at Proverbs 23. I'll tell you how she's going to respond. Not just because you're standing up, not just that, but what you're doing by the symbolizing of rising up and blessing. You're living a life of godliness. You, you, you want to do what you can to show your mom that all of her hard work and all of her life of pouring the Word of God into your soul, you're going to say Proverbs 23, 25, I'm sure, Mom, Proverbs 23, 25, let your father and your mother be glad and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. I mean, there's no greater joy, right? Doesn't John the Apostle say that? No, no greater joy than when my children are walking in what? Truth. Truth. The greatest joy. Greatest joy for a godly mom, Christian lady, is to have her son or daughter walking in the truth. I remember Patricia MacArthur saying one time, and I took note of it. She said, you know, I used to think that once we sort of got all of our kids just prayed through all of their, their years, especially their teenage years, and, and then in those, those sort of initial married years, and the, they'd find the right godly spouse, and you sort of prayed them through all of that, that I'd be done. And then she said, and then I realized there are grandchildren. And then I realized that those grandchildren, they, they marry spouses. And so she said, my whole life has just been built around praying constantly for all these kids, all these grandkids, all, all the marriages, that they'd marry godly people and they'd have a godly offspring themselves. And she said, I guess I'm just going to be praying until my dying day. That's it. That's it. But if, you, if you're praying and the Lord honors those prayers, then let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Look at chapter 29, verse 17. Correct your son, talking, of course, to both mom and dad, but in our context, mom, correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. Children, do you bless, that is, esteem your mom? You say, I do, I really do. Tell her. Tell her. Tell her often. Don't, Don't miss the opportunities, especially while they are alive, right? Don't have the kind of guilt that says, I really didn't do that enough, and now she's gone, and I don't have that opportunity. Take up opportunities. Take them now. Redeem the time. Speak of them often. Speak of them well. Esteem them. Bless them. Faithfully, lovingly, joyously encourage them. Look at all these mothers and all that they do for us. Make it your goal. Make it your aim. To perpetually rise up and bless your mother while there is still time. Encourage, praise, bless, extol these noble women who love God and who love us so well. Boy, what a fitting end to this poem about a great lady. She's classy. She's, she's spiritual. And, and really, the way that we could exonerate all of that in our homes with her is to tell her is to speak to her about all the blessings that she is to us. I would suspect, I'm not a lady, I would suspect, however, that all of that hard work that you put in, especially all of those early mornings, late nights, all the things that you do, that one of your greatest levels 
of discouragement is when nobody says thanks. When nobody speaks a word of encouragement, nobody says, I love you and I thank God for you. You're my mom and I wouldn't want any other mom in the whole wide world. You know, we ought to be doing that than other than just Mother's Day. Speaking to them, speaking about them, rising up and blessing them, praising them. Secondly, there's a husband who's listed here. You see him in the latter part of verse 28. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, that's implied, her husband also, and he praises her. He praises her, saying, this is what he says. I mean, whoever wrote this, if it was King Lemuel, or if it was the queen mother, his mother, saying, wouldn't you want to see this about what you've told me in the pages of Holy Scripture? And maybe he said, Mom, write that down. Or maybe he said, let me write that down about you. Well, whatever the case, here's what is said about her. Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Wow. Put that on a, put that on a card. Put that in a, a letter. Jot that down. Say it. Speak it to her. I mean, in a sense, maybe the husband is saying something like this to his kids. I will not be outdone by you. If you're going to rise up and call her blessed, I'm not going to be outdone. I'm going to rise up and I'm going to say, it's my time to praise her. This is how the poem started, did it not? Look back at verse 10. An excellent wife, who can find? Question mark. In other words, she's rare, extremely rare, for her worth is far above jewels. Notice verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her. This is the same man who says at the end, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. And he has no lack of gain from her. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. It's almost like the bracketing of the poem, right? You've got stuff at the beginning, verses 10, 11, and 12, and you have stuff at the end, right? Verses 28 and 29, where you sort of bracket the entire poem with, with the husband. And he says, boy, I just want to, I just want to speak about who you are. And this is what he says. No wonder he praises her. This is what he specifically says about her. Remember, the Bible says that he praises her, and he does this by saying, many daughters have done nobly. Nobility. Many daughters have done excellently. Or as we said when we went through that, the excellent wife, the noble wife, the valiant wife. Many wives have done valiantly. Remember that strength? Maybe even the midst of great pain and torture. Maybe some of these wives were tortured. Maybe some of them were tortured for their faith. Uh, maybe that it was very, very difficult in the gathering of bread for the family. You remember those Old Testament stories? You remember the one in Elijah, Elisha's day? This woman had nothing. Just, just one little morsel left. There were women who were fighting nobly to bring bread to the table. One of the things that would be the greatest discouragement in the life of a mother would be if she would not be able to fill her child's stomach with food. That just goes to the, to the very core, the, the very painful core of the life 
of a mom who wants to provide for her kids. And, and this woman is doing all that she can. She's noble. She's excellent. She's valiant. And he says, in fact, I know it's so rare, but I know that you, among the rare of these women, are the rarest of all. Noble, excellent, valiant. You excel them all. This is high praise. High praise. It's amazing. And he's, along with his children, standing up, symbolizing the context here. Children rise up. Her husband also, which implies he's in the room, right? Maybe he's at home here, and maybe they're having a, a, a little bit of a ceremony. And they're honoring her, and they're rising up, and they're saying, Mom, wife, there's a lot of noble daughters out there, sort of even with that term daughters, just gathering up all women, right? They're, they're, they're all there. But you, you excel them all. You, you, are, you are the noblest of all. You're the most excellent. You're the most exceedingly valuable. And you say, what, what with all of these superlatives? I mean, come on. Can anybody really be that good? Well, they think so. And you probably think so. And you should. For everything that you can praise about her, do so. And she's working hard. Notice what the husband says again. Remember, back in verse 10. I find in you an excellence and a nobility that is very rare. Verse 11. I trust in you with all my heart. Verse 11, latter part, he will have no lack of gain. I have no lack of gain because of you. Verse 28. I stand with our children and I bless you. This is, this is amazing. Many daughters have become excellent. They're noble and their desire to honor God, their family, but you, lady, you suppress, you suppress, <laughs> you surpass them all. You do. You're, you're grand. You're great. You know what we're talking about? Encouragement, extolling, praising, blessing. And you know, from your pastor to your heart, I am lousy, lousy at doing it. Fail every day, miserably. I ought to just, every time I think of it, pick up the phone. Email, face-to-face, encourage, bless, praise, because of everything. Everything that I see, everything that's so evident, we ought to do that. It's not enough to merely think about it. And it's not even enough just to tell your buddies about it. It's not enough just to extol her virtues to those who, in your, who are in your sphere of influence, in your gang, your buddyship. There, there, there are abundant opportunities to do that, of course, to be sure. And it may be that at some point she may hear of your extolling of her virtues to them. But why not just go directly to her and tell her about it, right? From your lips to her ears. Tell her. Encourage her. She's a good woman. She's a good mom. Just the other day when I did it right once, I just, probably because I was thinking about this passage, and I just said, Beth, you're a good woman. Good woman. Thank you. Boy, it's so important. It's so encouraging, isn't it, ladies? Just to be able to know that somebody out there is watching something of what you do, and they're thankful for it. Children rising up and blessing her. Husbands saying, you excel them all. Do you encourage your wives along these lines? It's so important, so necessary, so encouraging. Do you rise up? Do you bless this valiant wife? Oh, we all should. We must. In fact, we should right now. Men, boys, rise up right now. Stand up.
This is, this is a symbolic gesture that is way too late, but it's at least one attempt, and I'm sure the men in this congregation will do it later on in manifold ways that will make this symbol pale by comparison. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you, ladies. We don't thank you enough. Often we just do it on Mother's Day, or we'll do it on a birthday if we remember. Right, guys? We might even say something encouraging during an anniversary time. But we ought to be saying in our lives, with our hearts, even sometimes with the physical rising up, maybe doing that when she comes into the room. Now, I know that there are casual times where that may not be necessary. It may be awkward. But certainly out in public, certainly when there's an opportunity to actually, with our physical rising up, symbolizing what we mean by thanking you for who you are. You are noble. What a way to end a powerful poem. We rise up. We bless you. We say thank you for all that you do. We love you. We appreciate you. We don't thank you enough. And we are going to resolve, aren't we men, for the sake of the good name that she is to us and the reputation in the community because she makes us look good according to verse 23. We are doing everything we can to make sure that you understand that. It's a new resolve, right, guys? A new resolve that that's what we want to do. We want to rise up and bless you for who you are and the works that you do for us. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Let's remain standing, men, and ladies, you join us. We'll close now. Bow your heads with me. As your heads are bowed, let me ask you specifically, husbands, what is your current mindset toward your wife? Especially within the context of encouraging and praising her. For some of you, you may even be struggling with bitterness toward her. Maybe there is something about her that you find resentful. Maybe you've fallen into the sin of despising her. And if there is conflict in your relationship, I would implore you before God, to seek to repair that breach in your relationship. Maybe you can start with encouraging her today. You may not be able to work out everything quickly, but you can certainly start in some small ways before you work toward the bigger things later. You may even need some help by others. Go to them. Ask them for help. But today, and now in your heart, thank God for what she's done so nobly. Communicate that to her. Your desire for a growing relationship of love and trust. Children, do you hate your mother? Do you struggle with her? Do you speak kindly to her? Or do you take advantage of her? Because you know she'll do things for you to manipulate her, to speak 
disparagingly of her as serious sin, children. She does so well toward you. Seek to be at peace with your mom. If there's a breach in that relationship, and maybe for some of you older adults, it's not possible. But if it is, and ask the Lord to give you grace to help you work through your bitterness, your anger. And if it is possible to sit down with your mother, confess whatever you can. See what the Lord would do from that point on. Speak kindly to your mom. Speak of any manner of ways that you, you can in integrity. Even if your mom is not a Christian, there certainly were, no doubt, some things that she did that would give you the opportunity to say thanks and express gratitude. Maybe we're talking about a, a grandmother and not a mother. Maybe a sister. Maybe an aunt. Maybe we're talking about a, a daughter-in-law. Whatever relationship with females you may have, we ask that you would seek to encourage them about all that they're doing. The vast bulk of them, especially as they represent themselves here at the Bible Church, are beautiful, lovely, sweet, kind, dear females in our congregation. And we ought to thank them so much more than we do. Father, allow me and the rest of these men to confess our lack of encouragement, of praising. It's biblical. We ought to do it. We ought to praise you and we ought to praise them and what you're doing in them and through them for us. We do so, Father, because it is right to do. It's the way this poem is ending. And I pray that we would be better at doing it in the days ahead. These women, so many of them, as Peter even says, can be frail and sensitive and weaker. So we pray that we who are supposed to be represented as stronger and tougher and more valiant than they're supposed to be in protection and leadership, may we take up that mantle and encourage them, love them, appreciate them, and speak those words directly to them. We pray that we would do that for the sake of the honor of who they are, but most importantly for who you are, our Heavenly Father. We love you. We thank you for Christ. And we ask that you would allow us to do this in the power of the Spirit. Amen.